0: Today, we are joined by guest interviewer Adrian Cisneros Aguilar, a Harrisbrookan attorney based in Mexico. Global law and global business go hand in hand, but never seem to keep pace with each other. The importance on the global stage of developing and developed nations waxes and wanes, while consumption and interconnectedness steadily increase, all the while laws and regulations change incessantly, requiring businesses to stay nimble. But how do we make sense of it all? Welcome to Global Law and Business, hosted by Harris Brickens International Business Attorneys. I'm Fred Rockeford, And I'm Jonathan Bench. Every week, we take a targeted look at legal and economic developments in locales around the world as we try to decipher global trends in law and business with the help of international experts. We cover continents, countries, regimes, governance, finance, legal developments, and whatever is trending on Twitter. We cover the important, the seemingly unimportant the relatively simple and the complex. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Please connect with us on social media to comment and suggest future topics and guests. Alberto Villarreal is the founder of Nepanoa Transformation Advisory, a consulting firm based in Chicago. Over his career as a transformation advisor, Alberto has driven complex transaction programs for international companies related to integrations, technology, finance, operations, and global regulatory compliance. A native of Mexico, Alberto's international experience includes accompanying clients through transcendent projects in Mexico, Peru, Chile, Brazil, Argentina, Colombia, Venezuela, Panama, Costa Rica, and the U.S., Alberto obtained a BBA with double majors in accounting and finance from Georgia State University and earned his MBA from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business with concentrations in strategic management, operations management, and entrepreneurship. Alberto, welcome to Harris Brickens Global Law and Business.
1: Jonathan, Adrian, thank you very much for having me. Jonathan, I appreciate the the candid introduction. I mean, I don't think my, my mother speaks about me that way, so I greatly appreciate that.
2: Alberto, it is our pleasure. Welcome to Harrisburg's Global Law and Business. We would like to start by asking you, what led you to start a Latin America-focused consulting firm? I understand that, in reality, I was going through, through your website. We're talking about an internationalization services consultancy firm. Is that correct?
1: Thank you very much, Adrian. Yes. Well, actually, the, the name of our firm is called NEPANOA. And NEPANOA, it literally means to accompany in Nahuatl. Right, so Nahuatl was the language of the Aztecs, the most important civilization in the pre Columbian era. And what drove me to start Nepanoa, it was the number of projects that I did for multinational businesses operating in Mexico and the rest of Latin America. So Adrian, I spent 13 years at PWC Advisory, and for some reason or another, I would always spend some time leading a project in Mexico or in Colombia or in Peru, right? You know, apart from the U.S. engagements that I was involved in. um, Well, the audience doesn't know this, but, you know, you do. I'm based out of Chicago. So every time I would go to Latin America, I would see the need for our services, right? Which is a firm or a team that can understand the needs of a multinational business that operates in the U.S. and in Europe, Deal with the complexities of actually doing work in Latin America. And what type of complexities are we talking about? We're talking about regulatory complexities. We're talking about cultural complexities. We're talking about work complexities, right? So that is where we come in. We help businesses manage change in their operations in Latin America.
2: All right. So would you say that understanding these complexities is the main advantage of choosing NEPANOA for business expansion over another, perhaps uh, larger or more well-known consulting firm?
1: You know, it's one of the pieces, but I actually, I mean, when we talk about the differentiators of NEPANOA, I think there are four main differentiators for us, uh, Adrian. The first one is the team that we have, which is, you know, right now based in the most important cities in, in Mexico and LATAM. You know, we have done it before, right? We are not going to be guessing, right? When it comes to negotiating a lease agreement, we've done that before, right? When it comes to implementing systems, we've done that before. And we've done it, once again, for multinational businesses operating in Latam. So that really gives us a match. The second one is our team is based over there, right? So when you hire one of these large consulting firms, right, which I grew in one of them, I grew in PWC. You know, you're really dealing with separate firms. They will never tell you this, right? But in the end, it's the firm in the US working with the firm in Peru. They may share the name, but when it comes to sharing resources, to sharing knowledge, it really becomes complex, right? Even between them, right? For us, we are one firm across the board, right? I'm based in the US and I work with the team that we have in LATAM. All of our resources have international experience. They have either worked abroad, or studied abroad, and they're used to working with multinational businesses. And that becomes very important, right? Because we go back to the culture. The way that we work in LATAM, it's different than the way that the company works in Europe, in America, right? So that also is an advantage for us. And finally, we have a truly multicultural team, right? It is the same office, guys. It is the same team. We work together through every project, and we provide that attention to our clients. So I think that those are the four more important differentiators of Nepanoa, and, and that's what we bring to the table for our clients.
0: So Alberto, I can tell that you're passionate about Latin America. What are some of the selling points that you use when you're talking to clients that are looking to expand? I assume some of them are already thinking, well, I want to go to Mexico, I want to go to Colombia. Maybe you try to sell them on, on the larger Latin America picture. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what what your favorite things are about working with Latin America as a as a marketplace?
1: Well, Jonathan, thank you for asking that question. And, and, and the passionate piece that you mentioned, it's very important, right? You don't start a business that you're not passionate about, um, especially in my case, right? You know, with a 13-year career at PwC, a director, and then jumping and starting my own firm, I had to be passionate about it. And uh, And I have always been very passionate about bridging that gap, right? For me, it was almost a dagger to the heart every time... I would hear, you know, a client say, oh well, we have to go to Colombia," you know, in a little smirk, or like, "Ah, oh, it's not going to work out, right?" So, you know, I don't know if you have seen, you know, the, um, the Chicago Bulls documentary, which is pretty much the Michael Jordan's documentary. That he says, you know, I took it personal. Well, that's what happens to me, right? I take it personal. I like, "No, no, no, work with us, and the experience is going to be completely different. You will see." So, when you talk about going to Latam, there's really two ways to go to Latam, right? The first one is going after the market, right? And what I mean by this is taking your product or service and offering it to the Latin American market. Now, you can't say Latin America and think that the whole market is the same. Peru is different than Colombia, than Argentina, Brazil is definitely different, right? I mean, they do not even speak Spanish. We're like, we're, um, there you're dealing with, with with the Portuguese language, right? Mexico, the size, the proximity of the United States, it's completely different than working in Costa Rica, right? But, you know, when you go after the market, let's take Mexico, for example, right? One of the pieces about going for the Mexican market is the proximity, right? One of the key things that you have is that it's the proximity. It's very close to the United States. And you're gonna be surprised of how North American the Mexican culture is, right? When you talk about time zones, when you talk about working hours, when you talk about even speaking English, right? Many people do speak English in Mexico. Right. So you really want to understand that market and go after it. Right. Another point, right. To go into Latin America, it's developing economies across the board. Right. Most of these countries are growing specifically when you focus around Peru, Colombia, Brazil, Chile and Mexico. Those five economies are growing. Right. And they are thirsty. Right. For different products, products that come from the outside of their borders into their market. The use of technology, e-commerce all across LATAM has grown tremendously, not only for the last five years, but if you look at the last 12 months, guys, when you look at, you know, what COVID-19 did, you know, when you look at the countries that grew the most from an e-commerce perspective, you're going to see countries from Latin America in that list, right? They are now getting used to interacting via the internet, to buying products via the internet, which it was not the case, right? But it truly really depends, guys, as to as to what you're selling, right? I mean, when you really want to go into LATAM, it depends on the services that you're offering, the products that you're offering, and it may fit differently into the different markets that you see in LATAM. So that's the first way that you can go into Latin America, guys. But the second way, it's the operations piece, right? It's the operations part. It's manufacturing. It's call centers. It's back office operations where you now know that in Latin America, there are capable people to actually do the job, right? So there are four items there in operations that I think are very important for any company that is looking to move operations to Latin America. The first one is you're gonna find a committed, responsible and educated workforce, right? Of course, there's different countries and within the countries you have different areas, but if you partner with a company like us, like Nipanoa, we can help you find the right city for your company, where you can find that labor that you're looking for. The second piece is proximity, right? You're working in the same time zone. That gives you a lot of transparency, right? That enables you to hop on a plane and be there within a 12 hour time span. And I'm talking about getting from New York all the way to Argentina, right? Which would be the longest route. But in the end, we're close and we share time zones. As I mentioned before, when you're going for the Latin America market, when we talk about operations, well, yes, you know, we have an American culture. There is a North American culture of working for some of these companies. There are many, many cases of successful North American companies that operate in Mexico and LATAM, and they operate very well, sometimes even better than they operate in their headquarters. And the last one, which I think is very important for businesses that are thinking of moving operations to LATAM, is people love working for foreign companies. You know, there is a sense of pride in the work that they do and the fact that the products that they're producing are not only for their home country, but are also, you know, for expert.
0: Alberto, I know a second ago, you mentioned that sometimes clients hesitate or they look at you sideways when they say, we've got to go to Latin America. Uh, What are some of those concerns that clients typically express? I know it's difficult to talk in in general terms, and feel free to go into any specifics you'd like, but what what are the clients generally hesitant about?
1: Great question, Jonathan. Thank you for asking that. I mean, really, most of those doubts or those concerns stem from a lack of knowledge about the country you're going to be working in, or even the region within the country that you're going to be working in. But what we always hear is security. And to that, you know, I always try to hone in a little bit more in that in that point, and I ask them, okay, what about security? Well, you know, I read an article here and there, blah blah blah, or I heard the story. It's always anecdotal, and yes, you know, I'm not gonna lie. You know, there are there are security issues in some countries in Latin America, specifically within within some regions of those countries in Latin America. But when you actually start looking at the facts, right, and you realize that the city where I live in Chicago, you know, has a you know, it's murder rate, it's, you know, very, very high when compared to any of the cities in Latin America, right? And you start putting, you know, those facts on the balance, you realize, okay, well, it's actually not that dangerous, right? And there's always ways to mitigate that risk. The second item that, you know, clients raise is, oh, I thought it was going to be less expensive. And here's the thing, guys, you know, companies immediately think, that the cost of what they pay in some countries in asia let's take china for example it's immediately going to be the same in latin america and that's not the case it's very difficult to compete with asia in terms of cost but the advantages that we mentioned in the last question make up right for you know operating in latam versus china it's not specifically a cost play right You need to consider that you're gonna have people, you need to consider the transparency, you need to consider the time zone, you need to consider the language, right? These are items that should weigh, you know, in your decision um, of operating in LATAM. But those are the two main concerns that we receive. Number one is security, and the second one is uh, it's the cost of it.
0: So would you say that education is really a key component of what you do probably first with any client?
1: Correct, it's a matter of listening to those concerns and really you know investigating as to what triggers them right but also being able to show the facts right many times the concerns that they bring have a strong base right but there are other times that it's anecdotal right and you can't base this type of decisions on anecdotes you actually need to look at the data and see how things can actually work right that's why you have so many companies that are successful operating in latam despite you know, these concerns.
2: Speaking of concerns, what would you say that the challenges uh, facing clients outside the U.S. are as opposed to, to those facing U.S. clients regarding Latin American expansion?
1: Adrian, the challenges, they could be the same, but they really aren't. Let me tell you why. I really do believe that American companies have it easier in Latin America that companies from other parts of the world, um, and that has to do, you know, with, you know, with, with a cultural aspect of the way the Latin America sees the United States, or many of the countries in, in in America see the United States, right? Where the adaptation happens faster than it is for, you know, companies from other side of the world. Now, with that being said, I am a firm believer that even though. Each country has its own culture and its own ways of working. I do believe that companies can be, can have a very strong culture and actually operate wherever in the world under that culture. What do I mean by that? So what I mean is that when you talk about the rules of the road of any company, right? Think of Toyota, right? If we were talking about automotive, right? Or think of Coca-Cola. We're talking about the beverage industry, or Heineken in the beer industry, which is one that I know very well. I believe that these companies have such a strong culture within them that it doesn't matter where they're operating. They're operating in the U.S., in Mexico, in Brazil, in Chile, right? They are able to, you know, um, to adopt their culture anywhere, right? So, you know, to your original question, which was, do U.S. companies have a different or have more challenges than companies from other parts of the world to operate in time. it really is not the case. I think it's easier for US companies, but it's easiest for those companies that already have a strong culture uh, in ways of working within them to just expand in OTAM. That That's the way we see
0: it. Alberto, you spent over nine years working at PwC. Curious how your experience there helped. You jump, uh, first of all, just jump into this entrepreneurial experience yourself, but also to uh, deal in a, in a global uh, marketplace where you're now operating.
1: Jonathan, I spent uh, 13 years, to be exact, at PwC, uh, a beautiful company. PwC, it's always ranked among the best companies to work for, not only in America, but in the world. Um, and it's a company that really treats you know, their, their, their people the right way and and, it, and it's a great role because you get to interact with many companies resolving um, very important issues and that's exactly what U C taught me since i started jonathan uh, when i was an associate i will never forget i was a recent you know college graduate and they sent me to a project in chile and in peru um, the divestiture of, of the pension funds of a large uh, financial services organization and uh, Right at that time, I realized the value that we were bringing to the table by being able to drive this engagement internationally for them. Particularly in my case, you know, I was that liaison, that cultural liaison between the US and you know, their operations in, in Chile and Peru. And that happened throughout my career time and time again in different projects. So that experience that I had with one of the largest advisory firms in the world is key for me to go out to clients right now because i have actually done the work i have actually been there right so you know that experience you know really really enables me to to be confident and to and to start Nepanoa now as being one of the largest consulting firms of the world the ways of working of pwc are top right the way you collaborate with your teams, the way that you treat the client, the respect to the client, the work deliverable. So growing up you know, in, in that atmosphere was very, very helpful. So I would lie to you if I told you that Nepanoa doesn't have many of those things embedded in it, right? You know, The way we treat our clients, the quality of everything that we put out to the public and also to our clients, the way we treat our clients, how we put our clients first, right? So all those things. You know, of course, they come from me because I started Nepanoa, but I learned to work for 13 years at PwC, you know, and I grew to a leadership position there, you know, when I was a transformation director for them. And then the final piece that I think was also very important in my career at PwC was, you know, how you treat people, right? You know, as we built Nepanoa, we want Nepanoa to be one of the best places to work. We want our resources to be very happy but more importantly to grow and be challenged with the projects that they are doing with our clients and that's something that um, that I that I really value and, and that I'm very glad that I learned you know throughout my I call it my past life but throughout my my career
0: so what advice do you have for a college student or graduate student who's considering going into the consulting world especially for one of the big Uh, global consulting companies.
1: I have two pieces of advice for that. The first one is be a sponge, right? Just learn a lot. You're going to be working with a lot of different people. You're going to be working with a lot of clients as well. So make sure that you are just learning and learning and learning and learning throughout the different projects, both internally and externally, the good things and the bad things, because that way you're going to start shaping who you are as a professional, what you stand for, Right. And what do you actually want to do? Um, Jonathan, I'm going to deviate a little bit, but, you know, I believe that I have lived three lives. Right. And I believe that I will live four lives. And, And what I mean by this is that, you know, I grew up playing tennis and soccer. Right. That's how I ended up in America. I had a I had a soccer scholarship at Georgia State University. I had a full ride. And i consider that my athletic life which was my first life that gave me a lot of values right you know hey perseverance hard work responsibility positive attitude many things that i use day to day then i think that my second life was my academic life and it really started at 18. you know i would lie to you if i told you that i was the best high school student i really wasn't but i was a great college student right you know i i I graduated with 3.6 gpa double major accounting and finance But that's where my academic life started. And I don't believe that my academic life ended until I was 33 or 34. And I'm still learning every day. Don't get me wrong. But what I mean, like formal academic life, right? So we're talking about 12, 14 years after graduating from college, going to Chicago Booth, right, you know, for for my MBA. But all that professional uh, adventures, all those professional adventures that I had you know, in between college and business school and then starting the Panoa, I still consider those part of my academic life, which was my second life, right? Now, I'm in my third life, which is the entrepreneurial life, right? Which is, hey, starting businesses, having a true impact, you know, in other businesses. And that's what we're doing right now. So my advice to college students that are graduating wanna go into consulting is number one, be a sponge. And the second one, I will tell to you before a partner, uh, <laughs> at at whatever firm that you choose to work with will tell you is treat your client as if it was your business. That was one of the best advice that a partner gave to me when I was very young and I took it to heart. You know, there are going to be occasions where you really don't know what to do, right? Especially, you know, as as, as, as you grow in consulting and you need to think, okay, if this business was mine, how would I treat this problem? What would the solution be if this business was mine? And that's how you should approach every day in consulting.
2: So, Alberto, continuing on this line of giving pieces of advice to not only to students, but to young entrepreneurs who are starting out with their own consultancy firms, what would you say are the main challenges when you're selling intangibles such as consultancy services as opposed to being a startup that, that sells a product, an app, or, or something that is very trendy now, such as... a Fintech app or something like that? How did you manage to overcome those challenges? So Adrian,
1: let's start by stating that I don't consider at least Nepanoa services to be intangible. They are very tangible. And the tangibility of them come when you show the impact, right? When you show how much time you saved, when you show how to do things right the first time, how you show how you're mitigating the risks that were identified before. And in the end, it does result in something tangible. It results in more sales. It results in a more efficient operation. It results in a new facility in a country where perhaps you thought you were never gonna operating. It results in selling your product into many cities in a foreign country that maybe you thought you were never gonna sell into. So you know, from that perspective, I really don't think it's that challenging. Um, I think the most challenging piece is actually being able to present that opportunity for people that haven't considered it before, right? You know, for people that think that it is so difficult to operate or to sell your product internationally. That's what I think it's the most challenging, right? Because then you get into, you know, a discussion around the possibilities. And when we talk about possibilities, well, as you know, they are endless, (laughs) right? But from a tangible perspective, I think of our services as very tangible. Very, very tangible where if we in combination with the client take the wrong decision, believe me, that impact can be very, very negative. And that is very tangible. But most of the time, right, it's positive. There's nothing like seeing you know, a, a, a good project uh, be successful.
2: Okay, let's move on to your academic life. I find that very interesting because I lecture myself at at a university level. So I understand that one of your alma mater is the University of Chicago. So what attracted you to that university for your MBA?
1: The University of Chicago has a very special place in my heart because I I go back often and I still have friends. uh, There are uh, teachers, there are professors there. You know, as well as alumni and current students. So I, I really like the University of Chicago, the community there. And um, the two and a half years that I spent doing my MBA at Chicago Booth have been some of the best times of my life. Why did I choose the University of Chicago or Chicago Booth School of Business as, as, as my school of choice? And it is very interesting. Um, Even though I already had a double major in accounting and finance, I always consider myself very good in what people wrongly call soft skills. I hate the term soft skills, but that's how people call them. And what do I mean by this? I mean, skills like teamwork, right? interpersonal skills, selling skills, networking skills. And I thought, and after going to Booth, I know I was correct at the time. I thought that I was lacking uh, analytical skills. I really did. So when I analyzed other business schools, specifically in the area, because I was working at PwC, so I didn't want to stop working for two years and go full and, and, and do a full-time MBA. I wanted to continue working while I went to school. And the reason is very simple because I knew that I wanted to do consulting, right? I knew, already knew that I wanted to start Nepanoa someday, So I thought, well, why am I going to miss out on this two years of professional experience while studying, right? So I did both at the same time. I did the weekend program uh, at Chicago Booth. And when I analyzed the schools in the area, right? You know, Kellogg, which is a fantastic school. Um, You know, we have Loyola here in Chicago. Well, I mean, if you look at the region, right? You have Ross, right? You know, which is University of Michigan. You have Mendoza, Notre Dame, Um, you have Indiana University of course there's many great universities in the midwest I really liked Booth because it was a place where I felt very uncomfortable I'm honest I got to the meet and greets and I was you know meeting people and I was like oh my god you know the people here know things that I have no idea about right and I felt very uncomfortable having these conversations I felt uncomfortable I guess acknowledging how ignorant I was in many different areas, but particularly on the analytical side, right? See, Booth is a place that puts numbers to everything, to every decision, right? In God we trust. Everyone else must bring data. That's something that you hear often at Chicago Booth. And um, that's why I chose Chicago Booth. And I'm very glad I made that decision from every aspect, from a professional aspect, from a personal aspect. I met some of my best friends at Chicago Booth. I think it was the right choice.
2: Would you say that that same mindset, that that same way of looking at things, of approaching problems, permeates in Chicago as a city? Is that why you chose Chicago as a base of operations for your LATAM work?
1: Ah, great question. And and no, I have never thought of it that way. I don't think you want to get me started on how Chicago is ran. I think we will be speaking for four hours and we can get into a very lengthy debate. (laughs) (laughs) But... um, no, I've been in Chicago since 2010. Uh, my family is very happy here. Uh, I'm happily married to a wonderful woman. She, she's an attorney, a corporate attorney. We have two kids, ages five and four. They're 13 months apart. And we're just, we, we just love the city. Nowadays, Adrian, the decision of where to live more than, okay, here's where my clients are. It's really where are you comfortable, especially after the last 14 months, don't you think? right? Especially in professional services. If you're talking about manufacturing, that's different, right? Because you actually need a facility. You need people to get there. You're building something. But when it comes to services, well, as I mentioned, right, my team is in Mexico and Latin America. I'm here in Chicago, right? You know, if I need to travel, I travel. I will be in Mexico City uh, next week with a client. But we're very happy in Chicago. Now, I am going to backtrack a little bit there, Andre. In 2010, when I was uh, moving, right, you know, PwC told me, hey, Alberto, we need you either in Houston or in Chicago. And the reason that I chose Chicago at the time was because of the business schools, because it was already part of my plan to go to business school. And Houston is a beautiful city, great city. But when I looked at the top schools there, I saw that Rice was the top school. And when I compared it to the top schools in the Midwest, I thought that the Midwest had a had a stronger case when he came to to business schools. So that's how we ended up in Chicago and I just never left.
0: Alberto, it's been great having you on the podcast with us today. We are looking forward to catching up with you again in the future and, and getting your take on developments in Latin America. Uh, we always like to end the podcast with recommendations from you and from, uh, and from us as well. So we'd like to ask you, what, what have you read lately, listened to, watched that you think would be interesting to the audience?
1: Thank you very much, Jonathan. Thank you very much, Adrian. It has been a pleasure um, to talk with you today about international business, specifically Latam. Thank you for giving me the opportunity uh, to also share you know, the experiences and what we're leaving you know, at Nepanoa on a on a day-to-day basis. A couple of recommendations. Thankfully, we've been super, super busy. <laughs> but I always give myself um, you know, time to read either good articles, good books. So staying on the topic of Latam, uh, I will ask you to follow. Uh, the U.S. Mexico Foundation. Um, it's a truly binational foundation. It's it's based in D.C., but it's really it's binational, right? Its members are from the U.S. and in Mexico, and they consistently release information about the U.S. Mexico relationship um, from you know different articles of think tanks, think tanks, you know, in Mexico and the U.S. to propose policies that you know may get to the to to the leaders in the government, right? And, and it's important to stay in tune. So I really enjoy the materials that they put out, you know, when they're putting things out, you know, on a, on a weekly basis. And then the second one, more than the recommendation, it's actually a piece of advice. And it is don't be afraid to work internationally, right? You know, as big as the United States is and as, as, as strong as a, of a power as it is, you know, the world is, you know, shrinking, right? Little by little by little by little. And we need to learn to take advantage of you know, a global supply chain. We need to take advantage of the knowledge that we have in people across the globe. So don't be afraid of working internationally, particularly in Latin America. There are way more advantages and there are disadvantages uh, of doing so. And of course, if you ever want to have a chat or need a perspective uh, about how to do it, and if you're already doing it, how to do it better, you know, please feel free to reach out to me I am, you know, always available and it's very easy to get in touch with me in my email or Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. You know, I'm very, very responsive.
2: Adrian, what do you have for us today? I have a couple of recommendations here. Both are books, actually. One of them is one of my favorite books ever. It was written by a Chinese Canadian called Brian Wong. He's the founder and CEO of KEP, an international e-marketing agency. And basically what, what the book says is that everyone tries to imitate others who have been successful in their respective fields, okay, because simply because that that, that way works. What he recommends to do is the opposite, okay? You have to go up script and be yourself and gives you 72 Two-page long pieces of advice on how to do that, how how to develop your own style, so that you end up selling yourself, pitching yourself, as opposed to pitching your business, and as the main formula to get whatever you want, uh, whether whether you are starting out a business or or, or in life in general. Uh, the second recommendation is in the Spanish language. Its author talks in both Italian, Portuguese. Uh, sometimes in Spanish, and it's called Export Engineering, Ingeniería de Exportación. You might actually find it interesting, Alberto, because he, he mentions in this book many things that you explained to us today as to what are the main challenges uh, facing companies who want to expand, the difference between exporting and operating and selling abroad, how, to, how, how should you structure your internationalization plan, how to run an export checkup the attitude towards internationalization, where you've just mentioned about not being afraid of working internationally as the key of being successful abroad. Uh, I highly recommend those books.
1: Excellent. Thank you, Adrian.
0: My recommendation today is, is not too far afield from what I usually recommend, which is, is something spy-related, right? I mean, I, I love spy novels. So this was a recommendation from Fred. This is John Le Carré, passed away not too long ago, I think 2019, So a British spy writing under a pen name, uh, started writing post-World War II, kind of when the Cold War was really heating up. So his first novel is called The Spy Who Came In From the Cold. And I listened to the audio book through Amazon, and uh, it was interesting. As a first novel, you kind of don't know what to gauge, how to gauge the writer's future works. And this one was turned into a movie, which I haven't seen yet, but it was very fun, uh, set post-World War II, uh, mostly in, in Europe, but also Berlin. And uh, it's a fun, it's a f- I won't give away the plot, but it's fun because in the middle of the book, I couldn't tell if I was being told the truth or not. And so I was I was uh, put on my guard for about half of the book trying to figure out if what I was actually reading, hearing in the story was happening or whether I was uh, I was a part of this grander spy plot. So a lot of fun. If you like spy novels, this one uh, I think was considered a classic. The Spy Who Came In From the Cold by John Le Carré. With that, Alberto, we want to thank you again for being with us. We appreciate your insight and uh, certainly
2: look forward to following your work as we go on.
1: Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Adrian. It has been an absolute pleasure.
2: The pleasure is ours, Alberto. Let me say it's always a pleasure to see a countrymate being been successful abroad uh, because it proves to all of us, uh, regardless of the country, that if you have a clear vision, clear objectives, you can be successful wherever you are.
1: Thank you for that, Adrian. appreciate it very much.
0: We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We look forward to connecting with you on social media to continue discussing developments in global law and business. This podcast was produced by Harris Bricken with executive producer Madeline Williams. Music composed by Stephen Schmidt. Tune in next week for another episode. We'll see you then.